I wanted to just reference a message that Joel Milgate, our lead pastor, spoke on the 30th of January online. And if you weren't um, able to hear that message on the day, I'll just say go back and listen to it because I really do believe it had a prophetic utterance for Curate. And, um, and really the, the message was about relanguaging this year. I think there's a lot of language that we've been throwing at us of what this year looks like. But actually God has what he declares over this year. And, um, and so I think it's really important that you go back and hear that message. And one of the words that Joel spoke about uh, in a declaration for Curate over this year was reimagination. And there was a point that he made when he was explaining this word that just really got me. And that was that in this time where where the season that we're in is causing many people to reevaluate their whole life, to to reimagine what their life could be. And we're in this time where where reimagination is becoming normal. And I I feel like it's really important for us to to remember this one word, and that is that in that time of reimagination, we're not to become self-centered. You see, what it looks like to follow Jesus is very the opposite of self-centered. It is an other kind of life, an other's kind of life. And so in that reimagination, we need to be really careful not to allow our whole world to become about ourselves and not to throw the firm foundation that we have been standing on in Jesus out the window. Because you see, what happens is is sometimes when all the circumstances can be changing and things can be shifting, um, what can happen if we're not careful is that the thing that we need to cling to the most in this season can shift with all the rest of the stuff. We have to be aware, we have to be on guard, we have to know what we need to do to stand firm in this season when everything seems to be changing. I love this scripture in Matthew chapter 7, and um, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go and get them out and you can follow along, otherwise it'll be on the screen. But this is a really important scripture for this message, but also for every one of our lives. And so let's go and read it, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, And it fell, and great was the fall of it. This scripture is positioned in the book right after Jesus has just been teaching people what it looks like to live in a way that honors the Lord, to live in a Christ-like way every single day, not just on a Sunday, but every single day, what it looks like to live in His ways. It says here that we're not just to hear these words, but do them. And so, and so we need to understand what the words are that, that Jesus is speaking of here. 
He's talking about a way of life. And if we go back into chapters 5, 6, and 7, we can hear these words that he, he is referring to. And we can see that, that what Jesus is saying is that when we step into a relationship with him, when we choose to believe in Jesus and we accept him into our life, what happens is that God gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And as the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, He begins to change us from the inside out. And you see, this is important to understand because, because God, because He's all-knowing, He knows that we couldn't do this in our own strength. And so what He does is He gives us the Holy Spirit to start to change us. And out of that, the outflow is a change in our external, a change in the way we live because we can't do that by our own strength, but only through Him. And so when we read these scriptures in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we need to understand that. Otherwise, some of what the Lord is asking of us in terms of our way of living, our way of life, could feel a little bit out of reach. But when we know that we're not doing it alone, we're doing it with the creator of the universe, we know that it actually is in reach. Um, I want to give you, I'm not going to spend um, any more time on what those ways look like in this message. So I wanted to give you some extra study recommendations because I think it's really important, as it says, that we're not just to hear these words, but do them. So we need to understand what these words are. And so if you're a reader and you love to read, um, I want to recommend The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Brilliant book that talks all about this kingdom way of living, this Christ-like way of living. Um, and otherwise, about middle last year, we actually devoted two months to traveling through these scriptures in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, um, and talking about in, in a series called The Kingdom of God. And so if you more like prefer to listen and that kind of thing, then you can actually go to our Curate YouTube channel, and if you click on the playlist tab, you can click on the Kingdom of God playlist and have all the messages of that series. And so I want to just say, hey, you, you know, like let's understand what these words are for us in our lives. But today I really want to focus more about what that rock looks like and what it looks like to have a firm foundation for your life. Isn't it funny the song that we just, we sang this morning, you know, like God is doing something here. I didn't ask for that song. Tony didn't ask me what I was preaching about. This is what God does. He's got a message for us here today. And I think it's important that we take note. There is a way to live in a firm foundation with our house built on the rock. And there's three guys in the Scriptures that I believe God wants to reveal some um, little gold nuggets in there for us to take home today. And it's a, a story that we probably, most of us would be familiar with, um, but I just believe sometimes God wants to bring some fresh re revelation through it. And so if you've got your Bibles, like I said, turn to Daniel chapter 3, um, where we are going to hear more about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a little bit of a context to this, this story that we find ourselves in chapter 3 of Daniel. You've got this guy, this king, called King Nebuchadnezzar. And, um, and he's quite a prideful guy. He is a very prideful guy. And, um, and here he is um, with this dream. And he's like, I need an interpretation of this dream. And um, he was um, reigning over the province of Babylon and they had some Jewish prisoners. And one of these Jewish 
um, captives by the name of Daniel was able to interpret this dream. And as he interpreted this dream, King Nebuchadnezzar was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, this is amazing, this interpretation. And, and so he started to promote Daniel. And then Daniel was like, well, while you're promoting me, can you promote my three mates as well? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they become like on, on an authoritative administrative level in the province of Babylon under the King Nebuchadnezzar. And so now we've got these Jewish slaves that are actually in authority over this province. And so if you can imagine when King Nebuchadnezzar says things like, hey, these guys, they're better than even my own magicians and astrologers and all of these people, how much jealousy and hostility there would be against these three guys and against Daniel. And, um, and so there's, there's, you can imagine there's a little bit of like, oh, watch your back going on for these three guys. And I love when we read about them and what we find about these, these guys is their character and the way they do and the way they live their life. And it says that in, in, in chapters 1 and 2, it says that they were actually learning the ways of that culture, that foreign land, that they found themselves caught in, un, like not, not, like not um, what they wanted for their life, but, but they find themselves in this place and in this place, do you know what they do? They start to learn the language. And they start to learn the culture of the land. How many of us, when we are in a place we don't want to be, we start writing an exit strategy? How many of us are actually missing what God is doing right in that place where you feel like you are stuck and we miss what God is doing because we're too busy trying to get out? And God's like saying, hey, look where you are right now. Learn about what is around you. See what I might be doing even in this time where you do not want to be. And so how many of us are caught up in that? But these guys, they're like, no, if this is where we are, then this is where we'll be. And we are going to do the very best that we can while we are here. For as long as God wills, this is what we will do. And so they are embracing this season. And so here they are, just embracing and just, just, just trusting in God. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, like that whole dream really goes to his head. This guy is a prideful guy. This dream has gone to his head. It doesn't say so, but it really does seem like the dream inspires him to then go and build this 27-meter tall, three-meter wide gold statue. And what he's doing now is he's like, hey, this is just not enough. He's got this on this field near the province of Babylon so everybody can see it in this open expanse. And he's like, no, that's not enough. I need to celebrate this idol by getting all of the leaders in my kingdom. So not, not just not the average person. I'm talking about all the leaders, the people in authority, all of them together, and they are going to bow down to my gods, to me and my statue. And so he draws them together. And of course, that means Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now being asked, as authorities also in the land, to bow down to this idol. And so, as I said before, there's hostility. There's people watching them. And they notice that these three guys aren't bowing down like the rest of them. 
And I can imagine it would be quite humiliating for many of these leaders who think they're all that. And then they've been asked to bow down to this golden statue. And, and, and so they're already probably a little bit annoyed that they're having to do this. And then there's these three guys that are not even doing it. And they're even like Christian Jewish people that are supposed to be our slaves, got favor when they didn't deserve it. This is what's going on in their heads. So, of course, they go running to King Nebuchadnezzar and it's like, man, there are these three guys and they are not doing as you asked. King Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He's like, bring them to me, bring them to me. And so we can pick it up in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods of worship or worship the gold statue that you have set up? Can you imagine this? How intimidating. You have got this king in all his fine splendor, with all his subjects bowing down, this powerful orchestra playing this music, this massive statue, this threat of a fiery furnace. And here are these three guys And they're standing before them and the king is looking at them in front of all of these people that don't even like them anyway and saying, is it true? I had to stop and think, what is it about these guys that they were able to answer in this way so quickly in that moment of such intimidation? And this is the first point that I want to bring out of this this passage is that they must have had a predetermined heart. I remember when I was young, like maybe about seven, and um, my parents must have been thinking about a bit of a fire exit plan, or you know, like if the house was burning, what are you going to do situation. And so they came to me and said, hey, Renee, um, if there was a fire, and if we were saying fire, what would you go in and get to take out with you? And I think it was a trick question because I was probably supposed to say nothing. I will just run out. But I didn't. What I said was what I would run back and get is my Bible. And my mum and dad, because, you know, good advice, said, oh, Renee, like, no, you you don't need to go back in and get your Bible. We can actually, we'll buy you a new Bible. But that's awesome. But we'll buy you a new Bible. But I remember still to this day, I actually remember what went on in my heart. Because in that moment, it actually wasn't about the physical Bible. But when I was asked, what would I carry out if the house was burning down? I knew that what I would carry out would be the Word of God. 
that there was something steadfast about God. And in a, in a horrible disaster like that, I would know that that is what I would want to hang on to. That is what I would want to carry. And so I wanted to ask you, what would you carry out? If the house was burning down, what would you be found carrying? We have to have a predetermined heart. I love Joshua 24 verse 15. uh, 15. It says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, these three guys, their lives were not built on circumstances. Their lives were not built on things going well. Their lives were not built on their own plans. They knew and they had understood the Scripture and they had already predetermined, they had already chosen what their response would be. Because when you come into a place of great intimidation, when things are looking chaotic, it is too late at that point to make your mind up. We have to already know what our response is going to be. And what I love so much is that they have said, not only will we not bow down to you, and not only will we continue to trust and worship God, but also, even if He doesn't come through, even if we get thrown into that fiery furnace, even then we will still praise you, God. Even then we will still be found in the house of the Lord. Even then we will still be found walking out the Scriptures and what Jesus has asked of us to commit to in our daily lives. Even then, we will not be throwing away the rock that is our foundation. And so we've got to have a predetermined heart. So when the winds come and the seas rage and the fire burns, we already know what we are going to do. We are going to say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And the second thing, if we go into, if we continue on with this, with this story and Nebuchadnezzar, and they've just totally, I mean, they've made him look stupid now, like in front of everybody, right? And so now can you imagine, he was already fuming and now he is in a rage. And so he's like, that's it tie them up, you make that fiery fiery furnace seven times hotter. It was so hot that it says that as they were thrown in, the soldiers were killed by the flames. And so these guys have been thrown into the fiery furnace. And we can pick it up in verse 25 where it says, Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. This is so important. We need to know that when we are in the fire, God is with us. And that is the second point, that we've got to have a God is with us perspective. And what I love so much is that really God didn't need to be in the fire to rescue him. Like He could have done it, right, whether he was in there or not. But he's just like, no, no, I'm going to jump in the fire with you because I'm going to keep you company. (laughs) Like, it's a bit scary in there. It's quite hot. And so I'm going to be with you because he says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so he jumps in the fire with you. 
And so we need to know that when we're in that fire, we are not in there alone. We are in there with the creator of the universe. And so we have a God is with us perspective in every circumstance, in every season, in every furnace. God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Come on, yeah, let's give him, let's give him some glory. Amazing. I love Isaiah 43, and this is a promise for you. 43 verse 2, write this down. Get it on your mirrors. <laughs> um, Isaiah 43 verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. That's a promise for us. That I have held that promise so close to my heart throughout my life. That is a promise for us to carry. You will not be burned. You will not be burned. Do you know what I love so much about this? is that we can see that it was in the fire that King Nebuchadnezzar saw God. Often we think that the glory goes to God on the other side of the fire. But actually, it's in the fire where we are having a testimony to share to other people that other people are watching us go through things in the fire and thinking they are not doing it normally. There is something about that person and the way they walk through life that is attractive to me and I want it. You see, God is writing your testimony in the fire and it is when you are in the fire that He can really show other people what He's made of. And so you could be in the fire today and you could be in the chaos and the Lord would say to you, no, but you can have joy in the chaos. You could be in the fire and you could, you could like, everything could look crazy, but then the Lord comes on you and He gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding. What are you carrying in the fire? Do you have a God is with me perspective? And the third thing, and I think this is so important. If we keep reading in this Scripture, we can see that the Lord is not just in the fire with us, he is on the other side of the fire. He is on the other side of the fire. Isaiah 46, verse 10, it says this, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I make known the end from the beginning. You see, what is happening is that God is on the other side of the fire. He has already established the outcome. And so that is what we can carry. We can have a trust that God has already established the outcome. And He started here. It says that He started at the end and then He came to the beginning and He took us by the hand and He led us through our lives. He led us through the process. And He knew that scene one, we were gonna be getting going and there might be a bit of clearing out and stuff to get rid of in our lives in that scene, but that's all God, because all good, because God is with you. And then scene two, you're getting your, you're like getting a bit of momentum and things are going really awesome and it's really great. Scene three and scene four and then in scene five, God's like, oh, that's gonna be a bit of a hot sort of scene, you know, like fiery furnace type. And so He's like, you know what? They, I will be with them in the fire. I will be with them in the fire. But He is standing 
in the outcome that He has already established for you. And He is saying to you today that if you want to get here, you've got to make sure that you do not give up there that you do not get to scene five and say, this is not what I signed up for and throw it all away. Because the only way to get to the other side is if you stay. God is with you, but He's also on the other side. And He's already established the pathway out. And too many of us, we give up in scene five. (laughs) I've had many times in my life found in the fire and Definitely thinking of exit plans. (laughs) But how sad would it be that we would give up right before the established outcome? God is on the other side. God is on the other side. Jeremiah 29, 14, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Declares the Lord. It is Him who has declared the outcome. He declares the end from the beginning. The band could come up, that'd be awesome. Lamentations 3, verse 40 to 41. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands. Could everyone stand up for a moment? Let us lift up our hearts and our hands. Let us return to the Lord. Maybe you're here and that fire for you is like shame and guilt and just regret. I want to let you know that God has made a pathway for you to get out of that fire through Jesus Himself. It says that He has given you grace to overcome all of that. You don't have to be stuck in that fire. He would give you a pathway out of that fire. Maybe you're here and that fire for you really feels a whole lot like the unknown. Fear of the future, fear of loss, fear of failing health. Maybe it's grief, disappointment, anxiety. with you in the fire. He will never leave you nor forsake you and He has made the way. He has made the way. Don't stop praising. Even in the fire, even if, don't stop praising. The rock in which you stand is your firm foundation. When your, when your foundation is set in the one who is immovable and unshakable. It means the whole world can shake. The whole world can shake, but you won't. Because He is immovable. And today I feel like God is saying, come back. Some of you need to come back. Some of you know that you're here and actually it was really quite amazing that you arrived today maybe and That's okay. That is okay. It is never too late. Don't feel that shame. That is not of God. 
That is what the enemy would want to do to hold you back. Today is your, t- is your day to walk out that verse in lamenta- Lamentations and let us return to the Lord. Examine our ways.